Welcome to the Jazz Legends Podcast, which was born out of the Jazz Evensong gatherings on Sunday nights at St. Michael's by the Sea in Carlsbad, California. Tenor saxophonist Dexter Gordon was one of the most quintessential performers on that instrument for over 40 years. Born in Los Angeles on February 27, 1923, he was initially heavily influenced by Lester Young, but soon developed his own bebop vocabulary and a room-filling sound befitting of his six-foot, six-inch frame. His bravura performance in the film Round Midnight earned him a Best Actor nomination in 1986. The knowledgeable jazz musicians you'll hear are Gunnar Biggs, Keith Bishop, Joey Carano, Leonard Thompson, and Bob Weller. And the talk is moderated by me, your host, Father Doran Stambaugh. Dig it. Who wants to start us off and share a little bit about Dexter Gordon? Well, Dexter was one of the, the last denizens of uh, the Central Avenue jazz scene in Los Angeles that really made it big. He was uh, the son of a doctor, so he was kind of a middle-class kid growing up in L.A., and uh, he was always the best-dressed person down on Central Avenue, from what I understand. He was quite a fashion plate, even before he got his shit together as a player. He was quite a presence, because he was a big guy. He was, like, over six feet tall. Mm. So they called him Long Tall Dexter. And he, he had a hit early on in his career with Wardell Gray, the chase, the two tenors in the rhythm section playing, uh, trading back and forth. There was a quite a tradition of two tenor bands. Sonny Stitt and Gene Ammons had one for a while. And Lockjaw Davis and um, Johnny Griffin had one for a long time. There was there was like the two saxophone thing was a, a kind of an institution for a while. He had a hit early, you said? Yeah, he had a pretty early hit. Even short, you know, when he was still living in L.A., with a Wardell Gray called yeah. The Chase. You remind me of, of Alcone and Zoot Sims. Yeah. And Alcone and Zoot Sims, another two tenor band that lasted for decades. It's a, it's a nice sound. But, uh, they, they, were, they were sort of the, one of the pioneers of that kind of, not, not that it's a gimmick having two tenor saxophone players, but it's kind of cool to hear two guys that can really play pushing each other. To well, great greater heights. Will they play were. the head together? Like are they yeah, harmonized? Yeah, they they would. Sometimes they'd play unison. Sometimes they'd play in harmony. And two tenors are a nice sound together, I yeah, think. But that, then, being a saxophone player, I would think that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, that and then there's the classic Sonny Rollins with John Coltrane. I mean, that's a really nice thing. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a there's a long tradition of tenor saxophone players egging each other on. And Sonny Rollins made a record with Coleman Hawkins, which is also kind of a classic. Which Coleman Hawkins is one of his main influences. So it was kind of a big deal for him to get to record with Coleman, I think. What contributions did Dex- has Dexter made to the canon in general? You mentioned a hit early on, but what are some other... Well, he also, strangely enough, became an actor later in life and uh, made that film Round Midnight. So a lot of people maybe are more familiar with him as a movie actor than they are as a saxophone player. That was one of the the best done jazz films ever, mostly because of Dexter's contribution. I was reading a thing the other day that the two white guys that wrote the script wrote a lot of stuff that when Dexter read the script says, no, no, I'm not saying that. No. And he, he ad-libbed a lot of the dialogue himself to make it sound more like something that he would actually say. Authentic. 
So and and I think that's one of the reasons he was so lauded as an actor because he was basically playing himself in the movie. Oh, okay. He was uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award for that role and he didn't win it, but he he said afterwards that Marlon Brando sent him a telegram telling him that he was one of the best actors he'd ever seen in anything. Oh, awesome. And he said that was better than winning an Academy Award was yeah. having Marlon Brando really? tell him that. That's awesome. Well, I remember seeing him on the Tonight Show after. Well, I, I think he was just nominated, and so he was making the rounds, and I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, he definitely had his, his own way of speaking, too. Yeah, he was kind he was of awesome. a slow, laconic kind yeah. of guy. And I, I, years ago, uh, when I was on Buddy Rich's band, we used to rehearse at this studio that was across the street from Manhattan Plaza, where Dexter was living at the time. And one morning, we were rehearsing over at this studio, and we, me and one of the saxophone players went down to a bar that was down in the uh, main floor of the building that the studio was in and Dexter was sitting at the bar with a drink at like I don't know 10:30 in the morning you know finishing his night finishing his night probably because <laughs> years later I met his wife and she said oh yeah that was his favorite bar but uh, that's another story but anyhow it, we we saw him and he'd obviously been up for a while he was well dressed and you know it didn't look like he'd just gotten out of bed so he was sitting there reading the New York Times and my friend said Dexter you're at the, the Vanguard next week and he goes uh yeah <laughs> and he goes, oh man, who, who's who, who who's who are you playing with? And he goes, uh, my band. <laughs> yeah. So then my friend goes, okay, who's in your rhythm section now? And it, we stumped him with that. It was like, uh. <laughs> so years later, I was living in Manhattan Plaza where he used to live, and he's like long since passed away. And I was on an elevator with my tenor case one day going to a gig and this woman looked down and said is that a tenor saxophone and I says yes it is as a matter of fact and, and she says oh my my husband played the tenor sax and I said really what was his name and she goes uh, Dexter Gordon and I go oh man like he was one of my heroes he didn't just play the tenor sax he practically invented the tenor sax <laughs> So it was funny. She had just written this book called uh, Sophisticated Giant, which I've later read. It had just come out at that time, and she was on her way to a publicity event for it. And she says she was a real self-effacing. Yeah, I just wrote this book, and it's uh, I'm doing some publicity for it and stuff. And I says, well, I'm excited to read that book. I'd heard it was out. And, I, and since I've gotten it, it's like it really is quite an amazing book. That's so. cool. I, I, I saw her interview just post-book release, I think, because she talked about including some chapters that he didn't include in his life. And, oh, yeah. But but then specifically she was talking about his decision to make that movie, and uh, and she said that he said, you know, I played with Billy Eckstein, I played with a number of uh, popular black artists, and they all could have been great actors, but they just were not given the opportunity. And so that's part of the reason she said he decided to to take that role and he felt a responsibility to Billy Eckstein in particular. Well, it really is the 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 best jazz movie I've ever seen. Does he play in it? Oh yeah, he plays in it. Unfortunately, he'd just been ill just before they made the movie, so he didn't sound his best at any time in the movie. And it's kind of sad because at the beginning of the movie there's a sequence where he's been supposedly like drugged out and not been playing very well and and uh, the, one of the actors is running through the streets saying, oh, he's playing like a god. He sounds so great. And, and he never did sound good in the movie. It was like <laughs> it was a miracle that he was able to play at all after having like a really bad respiratory infection for, oh, yeah. for months before the movie started filming. Mm-hmm. So he, he, it's, it's kind of sad if, if nobody had ever heard Dexter before that movie that you didn't really hear Dexter in the movie. But 
It, it it was the best jazz movie. It wasn't like some of these movies where, like the old Benny Goodman story. I've ever seen that. I think Steve Allen plays Benny Goodman in the movie. And at the beginning of the movie, he's this kid that's standing outside like this club where all these black guys are playing. And he's listening to them play. And at intermission, they come out and he's talking to him. And he says, uh, Mr., how do you play that, that music like that? And the guy goes, well, it's a little bit of pick and cotton, a little bit of the riverboat. And uh, it comes out. And, the, and so Steve Allen starts playing. That's it, kid. <laughs> You've got it. You know that's how silly most of these jazz movies yeah. are. So I know he had a, a, an influence on John Coltrane, who went on to have a huge influence on jazz music in general. I, I mean, I hear a lot of Dexter and John Coltrane. Oh yeah. Well, Dexter it, it, actually one of his first jobs on the road, practically as a teenager, was with uh, with um, Louis Armstrong's big band, mm. which wasn't much of a jazz band, right. but but that was one of his first experiences playing. Awesome. As, a, as a kid, and he went on to play with a bunch of other name bands as well. I was curious about that period of his, you know, musical life, and I wondered if, if you could shed, or any of you guys could shed any light on that, but do you think in his very early years when he first started getting some of these gigs that you were talking about, like, was he less of a bebopper and more of a transitional, like, swing kind of player? I mean, can you sort of hear... Can you, when you go back and know what you know about, you know, how you've heard him play, can you sort of hear him develop over, over the years? Or, or Yeah, I, I imagine he was more of a, like a swing vocabulary kind of player back then. But apparently yeah. Louis must have liked what he heard because I did say in the, in the biography that I read that Maxine wrote that he got some solo space with Louis, which a lot of people didn't get back then. Apparently Louis uh, turned him on to some better marijuana too, from, mm-hmm. from what I've read. That he yeah. came out with this stuff that he shared it with Louis, and Louis says, "Oh man, that's not good. Here, yeah. have some of mine." <laughs> so, <laughs> so influential in it, so many ways. In, the, it, <laughs> in those early sort of years, like when he was crossing paths and or playing with people like Bird and Louis Armstrong and people, were those in those big bands? And was that in like? I don't know Lionel Hampton's band, or in what in what context was he playing with Bird? Like for instance. Well, I think he played with Bird when Bird was out in L.A. Okay, just like on a gig or but, two. Or but I don't in... think he ever did the same band uh, Bird played okay. on. I <laughs> thought I'm sorry, but I, I thought that they were in the Billy Eckstein band together. They they might have been. Yeah. That, that was kind of a short lived operation too. Uh, okay, so it's possible that he did that band. I, I did hear in an interview Dexter was talking about when he went with Bill Eckstein. <laughs> That it was awesome because it was a modern band, right? Because they were beboppers, and, right? And it was challenge, and I, and so I had the impression that's where he was going, even when he was playing, right, with uh, Lionel Hampton as he did, and Louis Armstrong, yeah. Um, but because people call the Eckstein thing, they call that like the first bebop big band, Sarah Bond, Charlie Parker, so they Gillespie, were, uh, um, it, yeah, just packed with. I gotta, I gotta listen to more of that yeah. stuff because I'm just you know, learning a lot. How long was Dexter in Europe? I think he was there for about a decade. Yeah. Part of the reason he went there was he was treated much more like a human being in Europe, like a lot of black musicians that didn't like the way they were being treated in the United States. And he also had a drug problem at that time, which and it was easier for him to deal with being a junkie being in Europe than it was being in the United States. Was he in Amsterdam or someplace? He, he spent a lot of, most of his time in Copenhagen, Copenhagen, Denmark. Yeah. I got a on that subject in this there's a downbeat article that I was looking at where he's this is from nineteen seventy two and he was asked the interview asked him what's the difference between audiences here and in the States? To which he replies I think the European audience has a more intellectual approach to the music and in the States they're more demonstrative, the whistles and all that. 
Oh, <laughs> anecdotal. I would think so, yeah. Well, I think it was great that Dexter brought American music to Scandinavia, and he was in France for a minute, too. And he also introduced us to some really fine European players. Yeah. But the European players were really more accustomed to trying to make it an art form instead of an entertainment thing, I think, at that time, because he used great bands there. I mean, Tudo Montulio on piano and Niels on bass, Niels Henningworst yeah. and Pedersen. So that, that's the way I first heard Niels Henningworst at Pedersen as a bass player. I went, jeez. Now he was an guy? incredible bass player. He was a teenager at the time. Yeah, too. yeah. But I mean, Dexter was just introducing them to our music and they were introducing him to their serious approach to it yeah you know, i think that's yeah. a, a real valuable and he used a lot of gave. american expatriates that were there at the yeah. same time too so kenny drew yeah kenny drew for one what's unique or interesting about his style i mean i'm i'm sure it evolved over Big his sound. lifetime we had an amazing tenor sound he just like his sound well he was a big guy and his sound was is bigger than life on the saxophone. It was ridiculous. And he also played quotes a lot. Kind of, he had he demonstrated a kind of a hip sense of humor. Some of the things that he would like wedge in in solos and place in unexpected places, like funny quotes and quotes from unexpected sources and that sort of thing. And he was also funny. He had a mannerism at the end of the when he'd be taking a bow at the end of a tune, he'd hold his saxophone out in front of him, like to share the applause with the horn <laughs> or whatever in supplication. It was just kind of cool, you yeah. know. <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, he 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 actually does make me laugh when I hear him play. And and I I've talked to you about that record, Dad. He plays his horn, which oh, is yeah. one of my early jazz records, and I still listen to it. Lawrence Maribel and um, the bass player that lived in Portland there at the end. Leroy, 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 Leroy Vinegar, Leroy, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Just awesome. And uh and he makes me smile. And I always wondered if he if that was sort of a uh, an extension of Louis Armstrong. because mm. he also makes me laugh, you know, and, and there's just joy in that music. Even though, you know, bebop is serious and can be intellectual and fiery and intense. Uh, he makes me smile. It's just the sound. Well, we, yeah, laid back on the beat. And, and yeah, that, about his um, yeah. sense of humor. Yeah. We saw him up at the lighthouse with Kurt Lightsey, Ralph Penland. And, mm, you uh, saw him? Yeah. And uh, he was like 45 minutes late. So the trio no. played for a while, and it was a great trio, so nobody was really... But he finally, he, he walks onto stage, Behind the beat. and he takes the applause they gave the trio, and he says, yeah. these guys always start early. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. and he completely turned the thing around, yeah, you know. I was, I was just watching uh, some footage of, um, uh, you know, the North Sea Jazz Festival of his quartet just yesterday, and it was Kirk Leitze and different other guys, but it was the same thing, like the first you know 15 minutes or them playing like three trio tunes which was great but i was just wondering if that was the normal formula for dexter and you're sort of indicating that it may have been <laughs> yeah reasons unknown What's that? yeah yeah right but he just came in out of the wings and was like oh there he is that's who we paid to go see right, you know? right. <laughs> his phrasing reminded me of his speech patterns though too because he would play yeah. real like behind the beat, like really right. laid back and really hip, but right. he kind of talked like that too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it might have been just him, right? Honestly, you know. Yeah. No, I just, I'm trying to play catch up with all this and learn, you know, more about him through his own words. Like some of these YouTube clips that I'm that I'm sitting through are a little bit <laughs> laborious to hear him talk for <laughs> anything more than. I mean, I love the guy, you know, but woo, that's a. It kind of kind of goes on for a minute. To, you know. <laughs> uh, this isn't. We're not talking about Ornette right now, but he seems yeah. like he was a little different. Like he's said to have been laid back in his 
mannerisms and speech and not as much in some of his playing. Yeah, well, yeah. sometimes it doesn't add up. They, yeah. People are completely different when they pick up a horn than they are when they're in real life. Yeah. In that same article here from Downbeat, uh, they, they gave the interview because he was just awarded the Downbeat Critics Poll in 1971. And so the first question the interview asked is, why do you think you won the poll? And he said, because I'm the world's greatest tenor player, saxophonist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he says, and then he follows with, no, I, I really don't know. <laughs> well, what recordings, uh, for someone who's listened to this and hasn't heard any Dexter Gordon, what recordings would you recommend and why? Well, I do love that Daddy Plays His Horn. That was one of my first jazz records, and, and I still go back to it. But I, to be honest, I haven't heard a Dexter record that I don't think is really good. I have a, a pile of them, and I think they're all awesome. Dexter Calling. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's one of my Well, all yeah. those Blue Notes. I think yeah, he was at the top of his game in the 60s yeah. when he was on Blue Note Records. Great and, bands, great tunes. Yeah. The one I had playing in my car when I was 19 or 20, like for a year straight, was Go. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. another one yeah. from that's that era. That's how I got introduced yeah. to, Love that to Sonny Clark, who was just a wonderful pianist, Butch Warren and Billy Higgins. They but, couldn't get anybody good that day. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah right. <laughs> but you remind me that um, <laughs> they I have a hall. record of him playing with Nat Cole. Oh, yeah, I heard about yeah. that. What else? Oh, yeah, I like this. This is his quote, jazz is an octopus. True. <laughs> <laughs> it will assimilate anything it can use. That was a th I, that gave me some something to ponder and think about because I'm a layperson, but that seems true to me. You know, you guys, you could play pretty much anything you want in the style of jazz. Kind of cool to hear that he said that because I wouldn't be surprised to hear Ornette say that or other people, but um, it's kind of cool to know that he was just as open-minded as any of the other adventurous quote-unquote guys, even though, you know, he stayed maybe in a, in a lane a little bit more. But he, it's a cool thing about a lot of those guys, no matter what style they play in or where they go, they always have an open mind, you know, if they, I think, if they if they survive musically, you know. One cool trivia thing about Dexter is that uh, when, when Ben Webster passed away, who also was living in Scandinavia at the time, he left Dexter his tenor saxophone, and that was the tenor saxophone that Dexter played the rest of his life, was Ben Webster's horn. Wow. Oh, wow. They might have uh, suggested that in the movie Round Midnight. It's been so long since I've seen the movie, I've forgotten. A lot of that yeah. movie was based on re reality. A lot of it was based on uh, not only uh, Lester Young's life, but also on um, Bud Powell. Bud Powell. Yeah. So, which is a reminder of many great players in that movie. Bobby Hutcherson and many. Herbie. Herbie, Herbie Hancock, yeah, yeah. Billy Higgins is in it. Yeah. Is it Wayne Shorter's in it. Is it fiction or was it supposed to be an amalgamation of It's fiction, of but it's based on sort of some true stories, fictionalized. About Dexter or? Oh, about just... Bud Powell and about Lester Young and, oh, right. okay. and other people that, that they all knew coming up. But it had like a sort of a ring of truth about it, and partially I think because Dexter worked on the the script without working on the script, just to tell him, no, I'm not saying that that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, we mentioned the film and the book that his wife wrote. Is there, are there other resources? Are there other notable biographies on him? As with a lot of these folks, where I'm trying to play catch up right now, so there's a nice YouTube documentary on him. You know, on Dexter. Super easy to find. There's yeah, a good biography clicks. too called Dexter Gordon on DeCapo, and it really shows you know it was un kind of unusual at the time from for a guy from LA to go to these different places and because bebop we think New York 
you know, she, but L.A. had a, had a big, you know, voice in the in the matter too. And Dexter was that voice. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that he was from L.A. because he spent so much time in so many other places. Yeah. And he isn't like the quintessential L.A. kind of saxophone player. There certainly wasn't uh, a cool West Coast sound from him. Right. Smooth bop. <laughs> yeah. Right. It is interesting, yeah, that he's from there, born in L.A., and then happens to be the Hollywood guy, too. Well, it's funny. There were a lot of musicians that came out of L.A. that aren't that associated with Zoot Sims, for example, was an L.A. musician. And he... He was a like really straight ahead New York style tenor player, and a lot of people forget he was from LA originally. A- any favorite tunes? Slash, do you know what you're going to be playing for even song? Yeah, well, wh- one likes. of them that I that I love to play is the contrafact that he wrote on. Fried bananas. It's based on it could happen to you. So we're going to play that one for sure. Cheesecake. I thought yeah, yeah, cheesecake. I was listening. <laughs> I was listening to uh, yeah. I was listening last night to Dexter doing my own research and was listening to Cheesecake and I'm just playing it on on the through the TV. And my kids walk by and my one daughter says to the other, "Hey, Dad's listening to a song called Cheesecake." You know, <laughs> I said, "Well, it's Lent. I can't eat it, so I just gotta listen to it." <laughs> it's better than listening to an actual cheesecake. <laughs> The Jazz Evensong Quintet will perform a selection of Dexter Gordon's compositions from his over 90 recordings as a leader on March 3rd, starting at 4 p.m. The weekly Jazz Evensong gatherings are free and open to the public and take place Sundays at 4 p.m. at St. Michael's-by-the-Sea in Carlsbad, California. See you there. <laughs> <laughs>